Section two of Historic Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Historic Girls Stories of Girls Who Have Influenced the History of Their Times by Elbridge Streeter Brooks. Helena of Britain, The Girl of the Essex Fells, Part One. Afterward known as St. Helena the mother of Constantine, A.D. 255. Ever since that far-off day in the infancy of the world, when lands began to form and rivers to flow seaward, the little river Colne has wound its crooked way through the fertile fields of Essex eastward to the broad North Sea. Through hillland and through moorland, past Moines and Great Yeldum, past Halstead and Chapel and the walls of Colchester, turning now this way and now that, until it comes to Mercy Island and the sea. The little river flows today, even as it sped along one pleasant summer morning, sixteen hundred and forty years ago, when a little British princess, only fairly in her teens, reclined in comfortable contentment in her gilded barge and floated down the river from her father's palace at Colchester to the strand at Wivenlow. For this little girl of fourteen, Helena the princess, was a king's daughter, and, according to all accounts, a very bright and charming girl besides, which all princesses have not been. Her father was Cole, second prince of Britain and king of that part of ancient England, which includes the present shires of Essex and of Suffolk, about the river Colne. Not a very large kingdom, this, but even as small as it was, King Cole did not hold it in undisputed sway for he was one of the tributary princes of Britain, in the days when Roman arms and Roman law and Roman dress and Roman manners had place and power throughout England, from the Isle of Wight to the northern highlands, behind whose forest-crowned hills those savage natives, known as the Picts, the tattooed folk, held possession of ancient Scotland, and defied the eagles of Rome. The monotonous song of the rowers, keeping time with each dip of the broad-bladed oars, rose and fell in answer to the beats of the master's silver baton, and Helena too followed the measure with a tap-tap of her sandaled foot. Suddenly there shot out around one of the frequent turns in the river the gleam of other oars, the high prow of a larger galley, and across the water came the oar-song of a larger company of rowers. Helena started to her feet. "'Look, Leon!' she cried, pointing eagerly towards the approaching boat. "'Tis my father's own trireme. "'Why this haste to return, thinkst thou?' "'I cannot tell, little mistress,' replied the freedman Cleon, her galley-master. "'The king thy father must have urgent tidings to make him return thus quickly to Camalodunum.' Both the girl and the galley-master spoke in Latin, for the language of the empire was the language of those in authority or in official life even in its remotest provinces, and the galley-master did but use the name which the Roman lords of Britain had given to the prosperous city on the Colne, in which the native prince, King Cole, had his court, the city which today is known under its later Saxon name of Colchester. It was indeed a curious state of affairs in England. I doubt if many of my girl-and-boy readers, no matter how well they may stand in their history classes, have ever thought of the England of Hereward and Ivanhoe, of Paul Domi and Tom Brown, as a Roman land. 
and yet at the time when this little flavia julia helena was sailing down the river colne the island of britain in its southern section at least was almost as roman in manner custom and speech as was rome itself for nearly five hundred years from the days of caesar the conqueror to those of honorius the unfortunate was england or britain as it was called a roman province broken only in its allegiance by the early revolts of the conquered people or by the later usurpations of ambitious and unprincipled governors and at the date of our story in the year two hundred and fifty five a d the beautiful island had so far grown out of the barbarisms of ancient britain as to have long since forgotten the gloomy rites and open-air altars of the druids and all the half-savage surroundings of those stern old priests everywhere roman temples testified to the acceptance by the people of the gods of rome and little helena herself each morning hung the altar of the emperor god claudius with garlands in the stately temple which had been built in his honour in her father's palace town asked the protection of cybele the heavenly virgin and performed the rites that the empire demanded for the thousand gods of rome throughout the land south of the massive wall which the great emperor hadrian had stretched across the island from the mouth of the solway to the mouth of the tyne the people themselves who had gathered into or about the thirty growing roman cities which the conquerors had founded and beautified had become roman in language religion dress and ways while the educational influences of rome always following the course of her conquering eagles had planted schools and colleges throughout the land and laid the foundation for that native learning which in later years was to make the english nation so great and powerful and what a mighty empire must have been that of rome that in those far-off days when rapid transit was unknown and steam and electricity both lay dormant could have entered into the lives of two bright young maidens so many leagues removed from one another zenobia the dusky palmyrian of the east and helena the fresh-faced english girl of the west but to such distant and widely separated confines had this power of the vast empire extended and to this thoughtful young princess drifting down the winding english river the sense of roman supremacy and power would come again and again for this charming young girl said later to have been the most beautiful woman of her time in england though reared to roman ways and roman speech had too well furnished a mind not to think for herself she spake so says the record many tongues and was replete with piety the only child of king cole her doting old father had given her the finest education that rome could offer she was even before she grew to womanhood so we are told a fine musician a marvellous worker in tapestry in hammered brass and pottery and was altogether as wise and wonderful a young woman as even these later centuries can show but for all this grand education she loved to hear the legends and stories of her people that in various ways would come to her ears either as the simple tales of her british nurse or in the wild songs of the wandering bards or singers as she listened to these she thought less of those crude and barbaric ways of her ancestors that rome had so vastly battered than of their national independence and freedom from the galling yoke of rome and as was natural she cherished the memory of boadicea the warrior queen and made a hero of the fiery young caractacus it is always so you know 
every bright young imagination is apt to find greater glories in the misty past or grander possibilities in a still more misty future than in the too practical and prosaic present in which both duty and destiny lie and so helena the princess leaning against the soft cushions of her gilded barge had sighed for the days of the old-time british valour and freedom and even as she looked off toward the approaching trireme she was wondering how she could awake to thoughts of british glory her rather heavy-witted father called the king an hereditary prince of that ancient britain in which he was now alas but a tributary prince of the all-too-powerful rome now old king cole as mother goose tells us for young helena's father was none other than the veritable old king cole of our nursery jingle was a jolly old soul and a jolly old soul is very rarely an independent or ambitious one so long as he could have his pipe and his bowl not of course his long pipe of tobacco that all the mother goose artists insist upon giving him but the reed pipe upon which his musicians played so long in other words as he could live in ease and comfort undisturbed in his enjoyment of the good things of life by his roman overlords he cared for no change rome took the responsibility and he took things easily but this very day while his daughter helena was floating down the river to meet him on the strand at wivenlow he was returning from an unsuccessful boar hunt in the essex woods very much out of sorts cross because he had not captured the big boar he had hoped to kill cross because his favourite musicians had been confiscated by the roman governor or proprietor at londonium as london was then called and still more cross because he had that day received dispatches from rome demanding a special and unexpected tax levy or tribute to meet the necessary expenses of the new emperor diocletian something else had happened to increase his ill-temper his jolly old soul vexed by the numerous crosses of the day was thrown into still greater perplexity by the arrival just as he stood fretful and chafing on the shore at wivenlow of one who even now was with him on the trireme bearing him company back to his palace at camelodunum carocius the admiral this carocius the admiral was an especially vigorous valorous and fiery young fellow of twenty-one he was cousin to the princess helena and a prince of the blood royal of ancient britain educated under the strict military system of rome he had risen to distinction in the naval force of the empire and was now the commanding officer in the northern fleet that had its central station at Gesuriacum, now Boulogne, on the northern coast of France. He had chased and scattered the German pirates who had so long ravaged the northern seas, had been named by the Emperor Admiral of the North, and was the especial pride, as he was the dashing young leader of the Roman sailors along the English Channel and the German shores. The light barge of the princess approached the heavier boat of the king her father. At her signal, the oarsmen drew up alongside, and, scarce waiting for either boat to more than slacken speed, the nimble-footed girl sprang lightly to the deck of her father's galley. Then bidding the obedient Cleon take her own barge back to the palace, she hurried at once and without question, like the petted only child she was, into the high-raced cabin at the stern, where beneath the Roman standards sat her father the king. Helena entered the apartment at a most exciting moment, for there, facing her portly old father, whose clouded face bespoke his troubled mind, 
stood her trimly built young cousin carocius the admiral bronzed with his long exposure to the sea-blasts a handsome young viking and in the eyes of the hero-loving helen very much of a hero because of his acknowledged daring and his valorous deeds neither man seemed to have noticed the sudden entrance of the girl so deep were they in talk i tell thee uncle the hot-headed admiral was saying it is beyond longer bearing this new emperor this diocletian who is he to dare dictate to a prince of britain a foot-soldier of illyria the son of slaves and the client of three coward emperors an assassin so it hath been said who from chief of the domestics hath become by his own cunning emperor of rome and now hath he dared to accuse me me a free briton and a roman citizen as well a prince and the son of princes with having taken bribes from these german pirates whom i have vanquished he hath openly said that i carocius the admiral have filled mine own coffers while neglecting the revenues of the state i will not bear it i am a better king than he did i but have my own just rights and even though he be diocletian the emperor he needeth to think twice before he dare accuse the prince of britain with bribe-taking and perjury true enough good nephew said king cole as the admiral strode up and down before him angrily playing with the hilt of his short roman sword true enough and i too have little cause to love this low-born emperor he hath taken from me both my players and my gold when i can illy spare either for my comfort or my necessities tis a sad pass for britain but rome is mistress now what may we hope to do the princess helena sprang to her father's side her young face flushed her small hand raised in emphasis do cried she and the look of defiance flamed on her fair young face do is it thou my father thou my cousin princes of britain both that ask so weak a question oh that i were a man what did that brave enemy of our house cavisilanus do what caractacus what the brave queen boadicea when the roman drove them to despair they raised the standard of revolt sounded their battle cries and showed the roman that british freemen could fight to the death for their country and their home and thus should we do without fear or question and see here again in britain a victorious kingdom ruled once more by british kings nay nay my daughter said cautious king cole your words are those of an unthinking girl the power of rome but the prince carocius as the girl's brave words rang out gave her an admiring glance and crossing to where she stood laid his hand approvingly upon her shoulder the girl is right uncle he said breaking in upon the king's cautious speech too long have we bowed the neck to roman tyranny we free princes of britain that we are have it even now in our power to stand once again as altogether free the fleet is mine the people are yours if you will but amuse them our brothers are groaning under the load of roman tribute and are ripe to strike raise the cry at camelodunum my uncle cry havoc in death to rome my fleet shall pour its victorious sailors upon the coast the legions even now full of british fighters shall flock out to united standards and we shall rule emperors in the north even as do the roman conquerors rule emperors in the south young blood often sways and leads in counsel and in action especially when older minds are overcautious or sluggish in decision the words of carocius and helena carried the day with cole the king 
already smarting under a sense of ill-treatment by his Roman overlords. End of section 2 Recording by Petra